What do you think of whenever you hear the word evangelism? We need to be evangelistic. Maybe this is what you think of, a bullhorn. When I was in seminary in New Orleans, I spent a day walking around, and I, I went downtown, one part of town, and realized I don't need to be here alone, but that's another story. Uh, but there was this street preacher on the corner, and he had a megaphone, and he was blasting everyone that came by. And his message, I stood and listened to it for a moment, was not really good news. He was just judging and condemning people for how they were dressed and how they looked. It was, it was kind of one of those yelling and turn or burn sermons. And I thought, you know, I know maybe his heart is in the right place. But everybody that I'm looking at are laughing at him, or they're getting angry, and they're yelling back at him, or they're just ignoring him, or walking on the other side of the street. And I'm afraid too often, whenever we think about evangelism, telling other people about Jesus, we have this misconception that it's about confrontation, that it's about getting in someone's face and pointing our finger and judging them. But whenever I look at the life of Jesus, I see that he was more about conversations than confrontations. In fact, some of Jesus' harshest words were not for people far from God. His harshest words were for religious people who claimed to be closest to God. But when it came to people, for example, like the woman that he met at a well, he just sat down and had a conversation with her. He was very relational. You see, Jesus would fill people's stomachs with food. He would heal their bodies. He would love them when other people did not love them. And he would have a relationship and a conversation with them, sharing the good news in a good way. You see, we've got good news, and that's what really the word evangelism means. It's from a Greek word, a composite Greek word, where one part of the word means good, and the other part of the word means message. So evangelism in Greek means a good message. And if you're sharing the gospel, you're sharing a good message. And I think we have an opportunity to share a good message, but we ought to do it in a good way. We ought to share good news in a good news way. And yet, whenever LifeWay Research did a recent poll, they discovered that 80% of churchgoers admitted they have a personal responsibility to share their faith in Jesus with someone else. 80% of churchgoers said, I know that as a follower of Jesus, I have a personal responsibility to tell someone else about Jesus so they too can trust him as their Lord and Savior. That's good. The bad news was 61% of those same churchgoers said in the last six months they had not shared their faith about Jesus with anyone in any way. So if we are the average church, 61% of us would have to admit that as we look at the last half of this year, we have not shared Jesus with anyone. We have not personally, intentionally, and clearly shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, his atoning death on a cross, his burial, his resurrection, and how we need to turn from our sin and believe in him. And I think even though we want to share our faith, we sometimes get too busy or we get surrounded by a bunch of Christians and we just don't build relationships or look for opportunities with people who are far from God. Or we have the wrong idea about what it means to share our faith. And what I want us to see today is that we can find three simple keys to effectively sharing our faith in Jesus 
with someone else. And the good news is it has nothing to do with bullhorns. Is that a deal? I'm going to take you to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And I'll put the words on the screen. I encourage you to open up a Bible if you have one or turn on your Bible if you have access to one. To Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, as we read part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. He's writing this letter somewhere around A.D. 60 to 62. Uh, He had never been to this city. He didn't found this church, but he knows about these Christians, and he's wanting to write a letter to encourage them. And part of what he wants to do is encourage them to effectively share the gospel of Jesus with the people in their community who, for the most part, were not Christians. And Paul is writing this letter actually from a prison cell. He is in the city of Rome. Now, before you think bad of Paul, he's not in prison because of anything he did wrong. He's in prison because of what he did right. You see, as a Christian in the first century, it was very risky. You could end up in jail if you preached about Jesus. Uh, Paul was a Jew who had come to accept Jesus as the rightful Messiah of the world. And as a result of that, many of his fellow Jews were hostile towards him because they did not believe that Jesus, who died on a cross, could be God's Messiah. On the other hand, the Roman Empire looked at Christians with uh, uh, indifference at times, scorn at other times, and then outright hostility and persecution at other times because they couldn't figure out what Christians were all about. Christians refused to worship Caesar as God, as Lord. Instead, Christians would declare not that Caesar is Lord, but that Christ is Lord. And often the Roman government persecuted Christians for the belief in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. So Paul's in jail when he's writing this letter among a few other letters that we still have copies of in the New Testament. But Even in prison, Paul is concerned about sharing the gospel of Jesus. To people looking from the outside in at Paul, they would say, well, Paul was a very effective evangelist, but now he's in prison, he's been sidelined. He's been put on the shelf. He's going through his own troubles. You can excuse Paul from no longer worrying about reaching other people for Jesus. He's got his own problems to think about. But that's not the case. Every moment of Paul's life was dedicated to telling others the good news of Jesus that changed his life. And even as he is in prison, he is still wanting to push forward, advance the gospel, and he's looking for his own personal chances to tell people about Jesus. So he gives us what I would call, he doesn't call them this, but what I would call three keys to effectively sharing your faith in Jesus The first key that I think he would say to us, if you want to share your faith in Jesus with someone else, is you need to pray passionately. You need to pray passionately. Paul's going to talk to us about prayer in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now we know that prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is a conversation with God. And Christians are known as people of prayer, or at least they ought to be known as people of prayer. Jesus even taught his disciples how to pray. He never taught them how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. 
Whenever you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he wanted them to be people of prayer. And Paul says, if you want to be effective in sharing your faith in Jesus with another person, you need to begin by praying passionately. Before you talk to people about God, maybe you ought to talk to God about people. Continue steadfastly in prayer. He says we ought to continue in it. This prayer ought to be a habitual part of our lives. Prayer shouldn't be this afterthought. It ought to be the first thought that we have on any given day when we face any given situation. We ought to say, I need to talk to God about this. And the good news is you can pray wherever you are and whatever is going on. It's not so much about the posture of your body as it is the posture of your heart where you're conscious of God's presence in your life every moment of every day and that you have an opportunity to talk to Him. He says, continue steadfastly. Be devoted. Be habitual. Be passionate. Be intense. Be consistent in your prayer life. And be watchful in it. I think Paul has in mind being watchful as stay alert, stay awake. You remember Jesus took some of his disciples with him into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he was betrayed by Judas and before he was arrested. And he asked them, stay with me, watch with me and pray. But they kept falling asleep on Jesus. He'd come back and he'd wake them up. Couldn't you even stay awake with me? And just like some of you feel right now as I preach, sometimes you have to, okay, stay awake, stay focused, stay, stay in this. Paul could be saying, don't fall asleep during your prayer time. But I think more than just literally falling asleep, he's talking about figuratively falling asleep. You need to live your life with an open eye to what ought to be prayed for. You ought to live your life watchful for the things that ought to make it onto your prayer list. Look around your life. Be sensitive to what God wants you to pray about. He wants you to pray about everything and anything. Nothing's too small for God for you to talk to Him about. He loves you. He wants to hear what's going on in your life. He wants to know that you're depending on Him. He wants to know that you love Him. Bring your petitions and requests to Him in prayer. Bring your problems to God in prayer. Bring your praise to God in prayer. Especially whenever you are thinking about wanting to share your faith with other people. That ought to make it onto your prayer list. Sadly, too often what fills our prayer list, either our literal or figurative prayer list, are things just about us. My health, my job, the traffic. Lord, let me find a good parking spot at the town center this holiday season. We pray about us. We pray about me and my four and no more. But Paul says you need to pray specifically about the things that God puts in front of you. You need to be watchful in prayer. And he says being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is a thanksgiving season, but really for Christians, every day ought to be a season of thanksgiving. You say, what do I have to be thankful for? I'm going through problems. Maybe that's how people expected Paul to feel. Paul certainly is not grateful. Why are you grateful? You're in prison. No, Paul is saying, man, I'm grateful that people know that I'm committed to Jesus no matter what. I'm grateful that even though I'm in prison, I'm not alone in this prison. Jesus is with me. He promised never to leave me nor forsake me. When I'm in the fire, there's another standing next to me. When I'm in the waters, there's another holding back the sea. I'm not alone, Paul would say. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful I have a relationship with God, that I can talk to God and know that He hears me. Because I've placed my faith in Jesus as my Savior. So there's a lot for which we have to be thankful. 
But then he starts getting specific. And I love this about Paul. Even though he is Paul, the apostle, the sent one by Jesus to go and tell others about Jesus. Even though he is the greatest missionary the church has ever known. He's the Billy Graham of his day. He is not too big to humble himself and ask for the prayers of other Christians. Verse 3, he says, while you're praying, at the same time, pray also for us. Paul's referring to himself. He's referring to Timothy, his partner in ministry, and perhaps others, Epaphras, uh, and others that were helping Paul. But he says, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, to, on account of which I am in prison. And he says, and here's something else to pray for. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, while you're praying, don't forget to pray for me. Don't forget to pray for my partner, Timothy, uh, who's helping me on this missionary journey. Don't forget to pray for your spiritual leaders in the church at Colossae. Pray for us. And while you're praying, here's what you should pray for, that God will open a door. Now, maybe Paul is praying, literally, may this prison door open. Uh, I want to get out of here. I've got family I love. I've got friends I want to see. I've got sermons I want to preach. I've got cities I want to take the gospel to. But I think Paul is saying, not only do I want this prison door to open, regardless of whether this prison door opens or not, I want God to open doors of opportunity for me to tell someone about Jesus. And if it's in prison or if it's out of prison, would you pray that God will give me opportunities to share Jesus with someone else? By the way, Paul will later in other letters that he writes from prison, like the letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi. It's called the book of Philippians in your Bible. He will say in those other letters that the gospel did go out of that prison. Even though those doors didn't immediately open for Paul, the gospel went forward because Paul's sitting there chained to Roman centurions. And he says, hey, well, we've got some time on our hands. Have you ever heard about Jesus? And so he starts witnessing to Roman centurions. Some of them get saved. Some of them put their faith in Jesus. And by the way, some of them go and tell even the family members of Caesar about Jesus. And some of Caesar's own family trust Jesus as their Savior. All because Paul found an open door of opportunity even when the prison door was locked to tell somebody about Jesus. Now, the reason I think we need to hear this is we often say, I'll get around to sharing the good news of Jesus when my life is better. Right now, my kids are little and I'm so distracted trying to raise them and provide for them. Or right now, I'm hurting financially because I don't have a job. And I'll get around to sharing about Jesus later. Or I, I know I should tell somebody about Jesus, but I'm going through some health problems right now. And Paul would say, don't you realize even where you are, you can ask God for opportunities to share Jesus with someone else, and God will give you those opportunities. He may even use your pain as a platform to tell somebody else about Jesus. Some of you know that I've been very burdened this last year. 2019 has been an intense year of prayer for me and soul-searching and seeking God's face, not only for my life, but for this church. And one of the things that God has burdened me more about in my whole life has been the need for me to be more intentional and more passionate and, and more dedicated 
to sharing the good news of Jesus with other people personally. Not just as I share the gospel in a crowd on Sunday morning, but even in my own personal life. Now, the problem often in my life is I'm like you. I get busy. I've got other things to do, and, and so I can put things off. Or I can be oblivious to the open doors God puts right in front of me, and I just don't take advantage of opportunities to say something good about Jesus. Or I hang out with Christians all the time. I mean, I'm not complaining, by the way. You guys spoil me rotten. I love you guys. This is, this is the greatest church in the world. You are my family. You are my friends. And I spend 99% of my time with you. But I came to realize this year, I have to be more intentional about spending time with people outside of a relationship with God so that I can tell them about Christ. I think it's hypocritical for your pastor to talk about telling people about Jesus, and then he's not doing that. Well, I think God has a sense of humor. You know, I had a heart attack the 1st of October. Mild, no damage to my heart. I'm so grateful for that. They put in three stints. I'm doing awesome. I, have, I feel better than I've ever felt. Actually, I didn't realize how that had kind of crept up on me until they opened up that artery. But part of my recovery is they make me go to cardiac rehab three times a week. And so I was on the treadmill talking to Mitch, talking to Jody, when it finally dawned on me, God has a sense of humor. I asked for opportunities to meet people that I would not otherwise meet so that I could share my faith in Jesus, and God has given me that opportunity. They all now know in my class, they all now know who I am and what I do. Oh, here comes the preacher. And so I get to talk to people about Jesus. Now, that's not what I expected. That's not what I asked for. But if that's what God wants to do, I want to be found faithful. And I don't know what you're going through right now. You may feel like you're in your own prison, but God's going to use you even there. He has not sidelined you. And Paul said, I want you to also pray in verse 4 that I'll make it clear as I ought to speak. I don't want to muddle the message. I don't want to get off on tangents. I want to be clear about the gospel of Jesus. And you say, well, what is the gospel? good news. If you know John 3.16, you know enough of the gospel to share it with someone else. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. God created this world. He created it perfectly. He created it good. In fact, when God finished, he said, very good. But what happened? Because when we look around the world, something has gone dreadfully wrong. We see a broken world with broken lives and broken bodies and broken climate and broken people. What happened? Sin happened. Our first parents sinned. We have all sinned. And we have messed up God's good world. We're a bunch of messed up people. But that does not change the fact that God loves us. In fact, God loved us so much in this way, he demonstrated it. He gave his one and only son, Jesus, who was born to become a person like us, to live a life like we live. But where we have failed miserably, he lived perfectly, and he went to a bloody cross, and he says, I'll take all the punishment for all the wrong of the whole world on my own body. Father, let me take the punishment and let them receive forgiveness if they'll trust in me. And so God loved the world so much, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him puts their hope, their trust in him, will not perish in their sin, won't die and go to hell, won't die separated from God, but instead 
will have everlasting life. Life now with God, life for eternity with God. And no matter who you are, what you've done, what, what you believe in the past, if you'll today just put your trust in Jesus as Savior, you can have that gift that Jesus promised. In one minute, you can share the gospel if you know John 3, 16. If you know 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, you know the gospel. Christ died for our sin, according to the scriptures. He was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. And he was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses alive. And because of that, I've placed my faith in him. Anybody who would predict his own death, burial, and resurrection from the dead and actually pull it off and over 500 people saw him alive with their own eyes, I'll believe that man. I'll follow him. I'll trust him with my soul. That's what I've done. I would invite you to do that too. In 30 seconds, you can share the gospel of Jesus. Make it plain. This is not about politics. This is not about religion. This is not about denominations. This is not about Pastor Ricky or Fort Caroline. This is about pointing people to Jesus and making it as plain as possible. In fact, inside of every one of these boxes of blessing is uh, the gospel to be able to help someone read it if they uh, will open it and read it and hear about Jesus. So pray passionately. Secondly, live wisely. The second key to effectively sharing your faith with others is to live wisely. So you've already talked to God about people before you talk to people about God, but now you want to also make sure you're living your life wisely because people are watching you. Uh, Joshua, my oldest son, is here. He plays the bass guitar on Sunday mornings. And when he was little, he was in the back seat of the car with me. And I'm driving. I'll always remember it. I was on Hodges at the intersection of Hodges and Atlantic Boulevard. And somebody cut me off and I slammed on brakes and then I heard Joshua from the back seat go, idiot. <laughs> wow. So I went home and scolded Donna for teaching him <laughs> those kind of words. <laughs> now I knew immediately where he had heard that from. He had heard it from me in traffic somewhere before and I realized I need to be careful I now have eyes watching me and ears listening to me, and I am setting an example uh, by my life, even when I don't realize that I'm setting the example. And the same is true as Christians. We need to learn to live wisely because people are watching us. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now, he doesn't mean to demean people with the phrase outsiders. Oh, you bunch of outsiders. No, he's simply saying that we as followers of Jesus are inside the faith. We're inside a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. We're in the family of God. But there are many people in our city who are outside of a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. They're not bad people, but they haven't come into the faith of Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. They haven't come into the covenant and the promised blessings that God has given to all who will believe in Jesus. And he says, so you need to walk wisely towards outsiders. And the word walk in the Greek is peripateo. It, it's peri, which means around, and the pateo, which means to walk. And so he's saying, as you walk around, Walk wisely as you live your life, as you go about your daily activities, as you go about your daily responsibilities. Do it wisely. Think about 
what image you're presenting. We talked about it last week, so I won't belabor it here, but we don't want to live as hypocrites. Now, we're all hypocrites to some degree or the other, whether you believe in Jesus or not, because every single human being knows more than what they're willing to practice at times, right? I mean, sometimes we're hypocrites as parents. Sometimes we're hypocrites in our politics. Sometimes we're hypocrites, you know, at work and what we expect of others. And so even Christians can be hypocritical at times. Christians are never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we ought to be committed to living for the Lord. And so if I go around telling people, God loves you and, and we love you, and then I treat people in unloving ways, they're not going to listen to a thing I said. If they see me acting one way on Sunday, but then I act a totally different way on Monday, it's going to be hard for them to hear Jesus when I share Jesus with them. Because I'm acting unwisely. Rather than making the gospel of Jesus attractive, I'm making it repellent. I'm turning people off by how I live. People are watching us. And then he writes in verse 5, making the best use of the time. Paul recognized that we all have just the same amount of time, and it's all limited. None of us have an unlimited amount of time. Paul is maybe thinking, make the best use of the opportunity that you have with that person because it may be a fleeting moment that you have with them. Or he could be referring to his own life. That, you know, we need to make the best use of time because time is a precious but limited commodity because it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, we stand before God at the judgment. So Paul says, I've only got this time that God has given me, and I don't know exactly how much it is. In fact, I'm in prison. They could come in at any time, take me to trial, condemn me as a heretic and a blasphemer and an insurrectionist against the, the, the state of Rome, and they could cut my head off at any time. By the way, that's exactly what they eventually did to Paul. Paul was beheaded by the Roman Empire for his faith in Christ. So he doesn't know how much time he's got. He wants to make the best use of it. By the way, you don't know how much time you've got either. And one of the things that we need more as followers of Jesus is we need seriousness. We need commitment. We need dedication. We need to redeem the time. We need to buy it back and make it work for us rather than we are always working for it or wasting our time. And we also, as a church, need to redeem the time that God has given us as a church. Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Pray passionately, live wisely, and then thirdly, the third key to effectively sharing your faith is speak appropriately. So pray passionately. Talk to God for open doors of opportunity. Talk to God about helping you make the gospel clear whenever you get a chance to share it. And live wisely so that your words don't, your life doesn't contradict your words. And then speak appropriately. It's often said, people like to attribute this to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Well, I like the sentiment as far as it goes, but most scholars say there's, there's no evidence St. Francis of Assisi ever uttered those words. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. But here's the problem with that saying. It's not an option. If you're not using your words, you're not sharing the gospel. 
lifestyle evangelism has to be more than just lifestyle. Lifestyle can become a foundation, a platform for you to share the gospel, but there's going to come a moment where each one of us have to actually open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. There's only so much that they can learn from us about Jesus by watching us. And so you need to be prepared to speak appropriately. So Paul writes it this way in Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Always be gracious. The word means a gift. Your words ought to always be a gift to people in the way you share those words. They may not want to hear what you say. They may not believe what you say. But rather than your words being a dagger in people's hearts, your words ought to be a gift that you offer to people. The greatest gift being Jesus. Let your, your words be gracious. Um, let them be winsome. Let them not be off-putting to people, but let your words be welcomed by people. And, and then he writes, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. You already know in the ancient culture, salt was primarily used for preservative purposes. They would use salt to preserve meat, fish. But Paul tells you what he means when he uses the word salt. He's talking about season. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Salt, then as now, was also used to season, to flavor food. Whenever I was at the hospital, they were giving me some food, and some of it was no salt. And I don't know who Miss Dash is, but she ought to be sued for malpractice because it didn't add a dash of nothing, you know, to anything I was putting it on. It just didn't help at all. Give me some salt. Um, and so salt could add flavor. It can spice up a meal. And I think Paul is trying to use that imagery to say, you ought to be sprinkling Jesus into conversations. You ought to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. When someone asks you, how are you putting one foot in front of the other after you've gone through those chemo treatments, there's your open door you've been praying for to say, listen, if it weren't for Jesus, I couldn't do it. You know, he's my savior and he's given me strength if someone looks at you and says, man, I know you guys are struggling financially. You must be so depressed. There's your open door of opportunity. Yeah, it's been difficult. And we're not sure you know, how long this season is going to be in our life. But if it weren't for Jesus, we wouldn't know where to go. But he's helping us and, and he's helping us meet our needs. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you ought to be sprinkling the gospel into your conversations, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And then he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that, here's the purpose, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. People are going to have questions. People are going to be at different places in their life. You may not, all, well, none of us will ever know all the answers to all the questions people ask us. I don't have all the answers. Paul's not saying we have to know all the answers, but he's saying you ought to know there's no cookie cutter approach to sharing Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to share the gospel in that moment with that person because God's the one who opened that door and he's going to give you what you need in that moment. So help answer that question. Be ready to answer that question. Know how you ought to answer. Your answer ought to be gracious and gentle and it ought to be gospel-centered. 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. The Apostle Peter said, Sharing Jesus is more about conversations than confrontations. And that's what Paul is saying. Start talking to God. Ask Him for some open doors of opportunity. Ask Him even to use your pain as a platform for ministry. Ask Him to help you live a life that doesn't contradict your faith in Jesus. Even though you're not going to be perfect, live a life that is consistent with your faith in Jesus. And when you have the chance, speak appropriately. Speak words that are gracious, not harsh and hateful and legalistic and judgmental. And sprinkle the gospel in conversations. And just be ready to answer that person that God puts in front of you about why you have hope in Jesus. If they ask you some hard, obscure, off-the-wall question, did Adam have a belly button? Then what you have to say is, I don't, I don't know. You know, the Bible, Bible doesn't say that. Um, but you know what I do know? And then go right back to Jesus. What happened to the dinosaurs? Great question. Have I told you about Jesus? Go back to Jesus. That's the gospel. They want to get off into politics, religion. Go back to Jesus. Because it's about him, after all. And so sharing your faith in Jesus is more about conversations than confrontations. We're going to ask you to take one of these boxes. Can I tell you, God's going to use these to give you an open door with someone. Just yesterday, several of us went out and passed out a bunch of these to our neighbors. And before we would leave, we would say, listen, is there anything we could pray for you about? Most everyone stopped and said, well, yes. Some of them let us pray for them right there. Others said, I'm headed to work, but would you pray for me about? One man we spoke to, he was at the back of his pickup truck and he was so grateful that we gave him the box. And he said, I'm sorry, excuse me, you have to speak louder. I'm deaf in one ear. We found out later he's a retired United States Army veteran. And we asked, how could we pray for him? He said, pray for me for the holidays. It's pretty lonely. My wife passed away. My mother recently passed away. And I only have a sister left. And I hope she's going to come see me at Thanksgiving. Would you pray for me? We prayed for him right there. Another lady said, would you pray for me? I'm pregnant. I'm looking for a job. Pray for me to find the right job to take care of my child. Another person said, yeah, you can pray for me. Pray I live another five days. We said, could you explain that? And she said, I'm just taking it one week at a time. I'm just living life one week at a time. That's all I can handle. So we prayed for her. And we had opportunities to share the love of Jesus. God could use you. No, I believe God is going to use you to share your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. And then you come get a box or 10. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that we have of sharing the gospel of Jesus with other people. And I pray that right now, God, that as these boxes go out, as these people go out, as we, your church, goes out into this community every day, that we will look for opportunities and be faithful to opportunities to share Jesus with other people. And Father, we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for what you do in all of our lives. 
in this moment. God, if there is someone in this room today who needs Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that right now where they sit, that they would turn to you in faith and say, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe you love me in spite of my sin and that you sent Jesus to die for me on a cross. And he gave his perfect life for my sinful life. And he took my punishment. And he rose from the dead. And he hears me now. So I call on him. I place my faith in him as I turn from my sin. Asking for his forgiveness and the gift of eternal life that he promised me in John 3.16. I thank you for his love. I thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you.